Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi again, everybody. I'm Tom Brenneman. Part two, part two, part two, part two. Here we go with Peter Edward Rose. We thank our producer engineer, Dave Armbruster, for all his outstanding work. We thank the Believe Network for hosting this. And today, we're getting into Pete a lot of the stuff you want to hear about. Winning back-to-back World Series. About the World Series against Boston in 75. We're also going to talk about Pete Rose going to Philadelphia. And then coming back to Cincinnati where he broke the all-time hits record. And of course, ultimately leading up to the investigation by Major League Baseball. And Pete Rose being suspended. Where he is still permanently banned from Major League Baseball. And ineligible for being in the Hall of Fame. You're dialed in. Living with Change is a nonprofit organization supporting transgender youth and their families. Transgender youth face higher rates of violence, victimization, substance abuse, suicide risk, and homelessness, but have few resources to help deal with those issues. To combat those numbers and in partnership with Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, LWC created with Living with Change Center for Gender Health serving more transgender patients and families than any other center in the Midwest. For more, please log on to livingwithchange.org. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services, including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details. Or, for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YES-CHNK. Peter Edward Rose. In 74, you guys missed the playoffs. And so now, here comes 75, and Sparky comes to you and asks you about yet another position change. Uh, Coming in from left field to third base, so George Foster... Uh, who yeah. came over from the Giants, can now get in the lineup. You recall that conversation? I mean, were you absolutely, okay with the idea or, or, or what? Absolutely. Okay, it's, uh, it's a, a Monday or Tuesday. Sparky calls me in the office, and he says, PD he said, you got to help me. I said, what do you want, Spark? He said, we got to add some more offense to, to the lineup. I said, Spark, I'm leading the league and hitting. What the hell do you want me to do? <laughs> he says, I want you to move from left field. Uh, it was on May 5th, okay? Uh, to third base, and this is Tuesday, and he said, when? Or I said, when? He said, uh, Thursday. So the next day, I come out to the ballpark, and Scherger hit me ground balls for about three hours. It was an off day. And then it, it was Gary Nolan's first day back. We're playing Atlanta. I'm playing third base. Okay, I played second base, so I had a little bit of idea how to play the infield. And the first batter up was Ralph Gar, mm-hmm. and he hit one over Gary's head, and I come in short hop it and threw him out at first. And I don't know if it just relaxed me or what, uh, but we went on to win two World Series after the, after that happened. But I understood uh, what Sparky was trying to do. 
because Dennis Mickey, I think, was playing third for us, and he wasn't doing much. And George Foster was over there just sitting to wait, waiting for an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Because don't forget, when he was in San Francisco, he played behind uh, Willie Mays. So it wasn't, it wasn't anything different for, for George not to play. And uh, George Foster took advantage of that opportunity. You know, in 77, he had 52 home runs. I mm-hmm. think. Was a league MVP so, that year. Yep. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I moved from second base to third base one time to give Tommy Helms a, uh, a chance to play. I moved from second base uh, to left field to give someone else a chance to play. If you're going to make the team better, uh, Tommy, uh, you know, it's just like when I went to Philadelphia for the 79 season. Hey, I'm 40 years old. I'm changing positions. I'm going to first base. Mm-hmm. If you can make your team better, what's the big deal about changing positions? You have to work extra hard. You know, I remember when I went to spring training that year for the Phillies, for the 79 season, uh, the first two weeks of spring training, Jim Snyder and myself went down to the complex every day for two hours and worked at first base, just throwing me short hop, short hop, high throw, low throw, footwork, this, that. And that's why I think I've become a pretty good first baseman when I played for the Phillies and played for the Reds. Because I always, you know, I always, I only won two gold gloves, but I remember one year, in the outfield, I led the league in assists, didn't make an error, and didn't win the Gold Glove. Yeah, go figure. I, yeah, I, I, I yeah. think you're still. I think you're still. If I'm not mistaken, I think you're still from a fielding percentage standpoint, uh, the top three all time in the history of Major League Baseball as an outfielder. Yeah, I was number one for I don't know who. Yeah, for a long, long time. You're right. It was only about the last fifteen or twenty years where somebody else uh, leapfrogged you who didn't have nearly but, as but long a career. It. But don't forget, Tommy, I wasn't aggressive. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Not even a little bit. In 75, you guys put it all together. Yeah. Uh, great World Series, four games to three over Boston. Uh, you win the MVP of that World Series. Was that as a competitor, not necessarily individual accomplishment, but as a competitor, the greatest moment in 75 of your career? Oh, when I, when I hosted that trophy for World Championship, because we failed in 70, 72, 73. I mean, you finally understand uh, the ultimate goal is to win a championship. And once you get that feeling, you want to do it every year. And I just was uh, lucky enough to participate in the most exciting World Series ever. Okay? It was a great series, great players. You know, when Carbo hit that home run down 6-3, to, six to three, the pitch before that was the worst swing I ever seen Bernie take. And by the way, Bernie Carbo, I, I played against two guys, Bernie Carbo, and I never figured this out, and Rico Cardi from Atlanta. They're the only two guys, Tommy, that when they played the game, they carried their billfold in their back pocket. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they didn't trust the guy at the safe in the clubhouse or, because I never, I, neither one of them made any money. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie used to come up with that billfold in his back pocket, and Rico Cardi was the same. I never did. I never was able to ask those guys why they did that. That's funny. That is really you know, funny. Carlton Fisk. I went up to bat the inning before. I said, Carlton, is this fun or what? 
we're playing in this greatest World Series ever. And I must relax him because the next next inning he hit the ball over my head. The only problem, it went over George's head, too, That's and right. over the Jimmy fight. That's right. That was, uh, I, I remember after that, after that game, Sparky's in the clubhouse. He said, Big Red Machine, my ass. I said, Sparky, relax. Did you see that celebration they had? They got one more game to play. They got to come back tomorrow. And then they actually had us three to nothing in the next game. Yeah, yep. Until Bill Lee threw that EFIS pitch to Tony Perez. You know, people don't understand how every every play is important, Tom. Okay? I'm on first base, and I forgot who hit the ball. It was either Bench or Perez. Uh, it, it must have been Bench. And he had a double play ball. And I went into Denny Doro, and I knocked him on his ass. He threw the ball in the dugout. Okay? For an error, guy went to second. The next pitch Billy threw was the Ephus pitch to Tony Perez, and he hit it over over the scoreboard. Okay, now we're three two, and we got all the momentum in the world. If I had broke up that double play, they'd still be ahead three to nothing. That's how important every play is in a game that you play in baseball. You never know because there's no clock running, and once when Perez hit that home run. You could just see the confidence in our dugout just rise because we had that we were the big red machine. We knew we were going to score runs after that. You win it again in '76. You don't lose a single postseason game. You sweep the Phillies. You sweep the Yankees. I mean, it, it was no contest. Um, it was boring. Yeah, it was boring. no kidding, no kidding. In '78, and I want to get to this because I remember uh, I had never been to New York City. My dad had only been the announcer for the Reds for four years at that point. Um, and I go with a friend of mine who's from New York City, and we happen to be there when you were in the the midst of the hitting streak. Um, right. You know, it, it starts in June. You rip off 44 in a row. Uh, by the time you hit 30, 35, I mean, the whole country is talking about it. From just a strictly personal standpoint, Pete, w- w- was that as exciting a time for you as any other in your career? Yeah, and I and I have to really thank Jim Ferguson, our PR director, because what Jim did, uh, which is necessary, is he kept the reporters interviewing me after every game away from the clubhouse. We used to have a separate room where I would go after the game, because you know, even though I got a hit and extended my hitting streak, you can't have. 50 guys around my locker stepping on Joe's shoes or, you know, interfering with him getting dressed and mm-hmm. stuff. So I really take my hat off to Jim Ferguson for doing that. And once once you got to the Big Apple and I'm pursuing uh, Tommy Holmes's record, 35 or 36, I don't remember, because I know I hit it off of uh, Craig Swan and Pat Zachary. Those are the two guys. I And I'll never forget uh, Tommy Holmes worked for the Mets. And when I, when I broke his record, Okay, he come out of the stands. He come to first base. I remember it like it was yesterday. He come out to first base. He shook hands with me. You know what he said to me? What did he say? Thanks for making me famous again. No kidding. That's what he said to me. No kidding. Yep, because he worked for the Mets, and he had that heat streak his whole life. And then, uh, you know, once I got past that, uh, I, it was fun for me, Tommy, because – I was paid to get hits and score runs, and that's all I was doing. And I, I think two, two of the two of the hitting streak days, uh, you know, I had a little, I had a little uh, success with hitting streaks. I yeah. had, I had seven over twenty game hitting streaks, seven different times, uh, six actually, and one over forty. Uh, 
So I have seven 20 game or more hitting streaks. So I know a little bit about it. Uh, and, and there again, uh, you know, we were winning a lot of games in those days and, you know, you never put what you're doing, uh, ahead of what the team's doing, but I had a lot of support from all the players. And I, I think two of the games I got bunts to, to extend the hitting streak. Well, the one time is when you guys hit around. It looked like you were not going to have it come to an end in the eighth inning, and then you guys bat around. Yeah, right, in the ninth inning. You're right. That was Philadelphia because I'm batting in in the eighth, and I checked swing, and the guy didn't call it a swing. He called it ball four. And I went to first, and I got to get up again the next inning. Right. You're you're absolutely right. We batted around, and I got a base hit uh, because, because – I remember I was up bad and Ozark is yelling to Schmidt, get in, get in. And, and, and Mike got way in, and I ended up hitting a ball by him. <laughs> <laughs> and he, put his, he put his hands out like, what do you want me to do? Yeah, that's right. You do? So, you know, that, that, was, that was great too, Tom, because it was good. I know when I, when I went to Atlanta, okay, and, and that's where it ended. But the, 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 the first game I went to Atlanta, I think, they had 32,000 walk-up sales. So I know one guy was rooting for me, and that was Ted Turner. Absolutely. Because in those days, they were drawing six, 8,000, and that was it. But that, that hitting streak did a lot of good for a lot of different people. Well, it, it, I, I just can't even put into words uh, through the eyes of a whatever I was, 14-year-old kid, to be at Shea Stadium for the first time ever. And, and when uh-huh. you would come up, that crowd – and all the way through that entire hitting streak was unbelievable. Now, you, you end up leaving Cincinnati. Um, you know, you signed the highest contract in team uh, sports history. I mean, compared to now, I mean, it's hard to believe, right? Four years, I remember $3.2 million to go to Philadelphia. 10000 a year. It's unbelievable. Were you sad to leave Cincinnati? I didn't want to leave. But uh, they already made up their mind. They wouldn't invest in, in Morgan and not Rose. Okay, but uh, that's my hometown. I mean, I got all the records there. They play on Pete Rose Way. I didn't want to leave, uh, but but there again, I had the opportunity to choose where I wanted to go. I mean, if, if I had to do all over again, Tommy, I would have took St. Louis because Augie Bush offered me a Budweiser distributorship. Yeah, I'd had- like to have one of those now. Oh, yeah. Well, then. Yeah. Because you remember he gave Roger Maris one? To come to the, the Cardinals? Yep, that's exactly he gave, right. He gave him one in uh, uh, where Florida State is, Tallahassee. Right. And that was, a, or I turned down an already proven oil well for Mr. Kaufman. Okay. I, I went to negotiate with the Galbraiths in, in Pittsburgh. Now, I'm going to tell you one thing, Tommy. You'll understand this. They had racehorses. Okay. They had great racehorses. And, and if Mr. Galbraith would have convinced me that he had a derby winner with balls as big as a basketball, I'd have been a <laughs> Pittsburgh Pirate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, Mr. Galbraith dropped the ball there. There's no doubt about it. He dropped the and ball. Then, and he- then the Phillies. Because I like Boa, I like Schmidt. I used to go out with him when they come in at Cincinnati. I like Wazinski. and I think I, I I figured it out that their only problem in the seventies was what the Reds. That's right. So if I leave the Reds and go to Philly, they don't have that problem no more. 
and it didn't work the first year. And I had a great year at 330, a couple hundred hits. But it did work the second year. We yep. won the World Series in yep. 1980. Yep, went in 1980, and, and then you're there. You go, you go to the playoffs three years in a row, um, yep. and, and then you go to Montreal for part of 1984. You do get hit yep. number four thousand, and then in August, um, you know you're hitting uh, roughly around two sixty, and now you become the player manager of the Cincinnati Reds. Um, did Tell me who they traded? Tommy Lawless, I think. You're absolutely right. Right, You're right. Absolutely right. So when when you, I mean, player manager. I mean, obviously you you know baseball inside and out, but you've never managed. You've been playing a long time. Right. I mean, what what made you think you could kind of pull this thing off? Well, you know, if you ever watched me in the dugout when Sparky was there, I was always next to Sparky. I was always asking him why you're doing this and why you're doing that. And uh, when I become manager, what I did, Tom, is is I had 12 managers, and I put the stuff that I liked the managers did into my program and the stuff that managers did I didn't like into my program. And, you, you know, you know what makes a good manager in baseball, Tom? Hmm. One thing. You know what it is? Winning. No, I mean, that obviously every manager wants to win. But what makes a good coach or a good manager is one thing. And I tell people this every day. Good players. For sure. sure. You don't know any managers that had horseshit players. That's right. That's right. No question about it. Well, you look at and Joe I, You look at Joe Torrey. I mean, you know, he gets, he gets run out of town in three different places until he shows up in absolutely. the Bronx. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the, the Reds were minor league rich in those days. I mean, you know, I saw over 30 players get their, their first major league hit – uh, when I was manager, I mean, I, I managed Paul O'Neill, Barry Larkin, Chris Sabo, Eric Davis. Uh, I didn't bring Eric up, but the other three I did. Mm-hmm. Joe Oliver, Terry McGriff, I brought them up. Gary Reedus, uh, uh, Eddie Milner, Tracy Jones, Jeff Treadway, uh, Kurt Stillwell. I remember Kurt Stillwell was a really good prospect, and I had him and Larkin on the team at the same time. And I'll never forget, I'm in my office one day. And Larkin comes in, hey, Skip, he called me Skip. He still does, actually. He said, I'm going to give you some advice. I said, what's that, kid? Because he was from Cincinnati, went to Mahler High School. He said, you might as well trade Kurt Stillwell because I'm going to be your shortstop for the next 15 years. He and wasn't he lying. And I traded Kurt to Kansas City, and he had a, he had a great career at Kansas City. He was a good player. He was, I didn't want to trade him, but I had Barry Larkin. He's a Hall of Famer. You know, those are those are the kind of things that that the the players give you an idea and you carry on with it. I mean, I had so many great. I had Dibble, I had Charlton, I had Rob Murphy, you know, I had Carl Willis, I had Jeff Montgomery. I traded him to Kansas City, who had he had a great career at Kansas City. See, in other words, when I had players that I couldn't use, I wanted to give them an opportunity to play somewhere else, not just sit on my bench. Okay, and take up time. You understand what I'm saying? No, sure, sure. But you want to give everybody a chance to chase their dream. And that's why I made trades like I did, because I wanted those guys to have the opportunity to play other places than sit behind Barry Larkin in Cincinnati or sit behind Eric Davis in Cincinnati. In September, the 11th of September, 85, you break Ty Cobb's record for the most hits in baseball history, 4192, a single to left center field off Eric Schau. Um, the crowd sell out, standing, cheering, 
uh, for what seemed an eternity. I don't know if it seemed like that to you. And, and then finally, you know, you break down, and, and and I've heard you you talk about this a little bit about you started thinking about your 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 family. Well, here's what happened, Tom. Uh, actually, if you want to know the truth, the the the, the fans give me a nine minute standing ovation. Nine minutes. Okay. When you get home tonight, your wife's cooking in the kitchen, stand there for nine minutes and clap. She doesn't want me to stand there that long. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't want me there that long. <laughs> so, so here's what happens. All right, five, six minutes was, was fine. Okay, the guys come out and, you know, everybody's congratulating you. And March brings the Corvette out and all that kind of stuff. But then all of a sudden, when it gets seven and a half and eight, you start thinking about everybody that was responsible for you being there that have left us. In my case, my dad, my uncle, my high school coaches, my Little League coaches, my manager that gave me a job, Fred Hutchison. They're all up, up in heaven. And you look up, and that just brings tears to your eyes. I held it good for six, seven minutes, but after eight, eight and a half, I couldn't hold it no more. Because everybody, that was the only time my, in my baseball career, Tommy, I was on the field and did not know what to do. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what to do. And the fans make it. You never know what to expect from fans. I mean, did I go into that game thinking I was going to get a nine-minute standing ovation? Nine minutes is a long time. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But, I mean, it's your hometown. You are Cincinnati, and you are Cincinnati Reds baseball, even now to so many people. So, I mean – I'm not suggesting that, that 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 you're out of your mind if you didn't think it was going to be something like that. But I mean, oh, yeah. you know, I mean that, that that's what that town had been waiting for really since the day you came back um, from uh, from from Montreal in the trade. That's another thing, Tommy. When I came back, okay, a lot of people didn't think that I deserved the opportunity to, to break the record in '85. However, when I came back in August of '84. All right, I played every day the rest of the season, and I hit 360. Yep, yep. So I kind of deserved the opportunity to play in 1985. If I'd have hit 220, I wouldn't have took the roster spot the next year. But I, I deserved the opportunity to play in 1985 based on what I did the last six weeks of the season in 84. You retire uh, unofficially at the end of 86. Um, You you take over full-time as a manager. Uh, You win 426 games. You finish in second place four consecutive years. Now, you talked earlier about, you know, you got to have good players. I mean, you had that group that was coming together, of course, a year after you were gone. They win the World Series. But, you know, had you stayed on there, I mean, do you ever wonder what it would would have been like? Well, I don't want. Because let me tell you something, Tommy. If I was a basketball coach, they would say, man, he took a last-place team and finished second four years in a row. Well, 1990, okay, I'm going to name you four guys that Lou Pinella had that I didn't have. And if I'd have had the four years I finished second, I'd have won it every year. Billy Hatcher, career year. Glenn Braggs, career year. Uh, Randy Myers, career year. Hal Morris career year. Those four guys had career years in 1990. That's why the Reds won it. And that's, I didn't have any of those guys my four years I finished second. Well, I think you I could had, add Mariano Duncan to that list too. 
Well, he didn't have a career year like the other guys. Yeah, yeah, he had a good year, though. He had a good year. Yeah, you look at their stats, they really helped that team get over the hump. And Lou did a great job. And by the way, Lou Pinella, I would have never, never traded Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill was a player. He was a good golfer, a good tennis player, left-handed, could run, good fielder. Lou traded him to the Yankees. Mm Mm-hmm. Best thing ever happened to Paul. For sure. He made, he made millions of dollars and he won a couple of three World Series. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't like to, I, I didn't like to trade uh, great players. And Paul O'Neill was a really good player. You know, I would never trade a Barry Larkin. I don't care who I got for him. I would never trade a Chris Sabo. I mean, because Sabo rubbed off on the other players. Sure. So did Larkin. I mean, those, uh, I don't know if I rubbed off on those guys. But can you imagine a guy playing for the Reds when I'm manager of the Reds and not hustling? No. I didn't have no problem with guys running balls out. I had no problem with guys being on time for meetings, being on time for buses, airplanes, things like that. That's it. If you have a problem, child, in your organization or on your big league team, Tommy, I believe it's the manager's fault. If you've got a guy that's late to practice, if you've got a guy that don't run a ball out, that's the manager's fault. That's disrespectful to the manager, and if you're doing that, you're disrespecting your fans and the city you play for. That's 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 the way I look at it. Okay, I never embarrassed the manager. I never embarrassed the fans. I didn't expect my players to embarrass uh, the manager or the fans or the or the or the ball club that they're playing for. In 1989, you're brought in by uh, then-Commissioner Peter Uberoff and National League President at the time, Bart Giamatti, amid reports that you had been betting on baseball. What, what happened, Pete, at that meeting? And, and do you regret anything that happened in that initial meeting, if you could do it over again? I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Uh, I, I remember Bart Giamatti, but I don't remember Uberoff okay. being there when, when – uh, you know, I screwed up, Tommy. I, I was betting my team to win. I had so much love for those players. I just thought we were never going to lose. And I was wrong, and I paid the price. Uh, if I had everything to do over again, obviously I wouldn't bet on baseball. Okay, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of things a lot of people do that you, you, you can't erase. No doubt, no doubt. you got to live with it. Yep. you got to live with it. And uh, uh, the only thing bad about that whole situation, as far as I'm concerned, Tommy, uh is when I got suspended in years following the suspension, baseball could care less if my family starved. What I mean by that, that baseball got in the way of me doing appearances for baseball or minor league teams or things like that. They wouldn't let me even be a part of the game of baseball. You might find this hard to believe. Well, you won't because you're, you're on top of things, okay? That I have never, never, been in the Reds clubhouse or the batting cage mm. to this day. You know, I, I mean, look, I, I, I you know, I, I get emotional just just thinking about the whole thing because when I was I growing mean, up, and play, I, yeah, they played baseball at Great American Ballpark on Pete Rose Way. Yeah, I'm not allowed in the clubhouse or the batting cage. Are you going to tell me? that I couldn't help some young players on the Reds become better players? Of course. I what do they think? they think I'm going to go in the clubhouse and tell the guys to bet on baseball? Right. Are they that stupid? 
Well, apparently they are. And I'm curious to get your your impression of this, though. Now, here we are 30 years later, 30-plus years later, right? And at every turn, baseball is in bed with gambling. Oh, uh, you know, you, you've got you've got an entire television network, coast to coast, what was the Fox Sports regional networks, that are named after now a casino. You actually yeah. have at Wrigley Field uh, booths you can go up and gamble. Uh, they're accepting hundreds of millions of dollars. The sport is from That's gambling. What it's all about Tommy, I, I know. And That's- so, I mean, you, you I mean, there, there's got to be. I mean, you have to look at this thing, a party of Pete, and just say, I mean, come on. Well, I mean, people just don't understand it because it's all about dollars and cents. It's all about how much, how many bucks you can bring in, okay? How many dollars you can bring in. Did you know that not, not uh, let's say before 19, uh, 2019, okay, they, they put this rule in, baseball did. I don't even know if you know this. But before every game, there's 30 managers in baseball. 15 minutes before every game, baseball has the manager has to email baseball his starting lineup. You know what they do with it? They email it to MGM Grand. So there's no situation where uh, Kershaw was supposed to pitch, and 10 minutes before the game they scratched him. Right. The people who've been on Kershaw are getting screwed. That's how much in bed baseball is with gamblers or the gambling, uh, the gambling situation. How often, Pete, do you think about being in the Hall of Fame or not being Never. in it? Never. Come on. Never. Never. I don't. I don't. I don't. Let me tell you why. Because I screwed that up. Okay. If I'm ever given the opportunity, I'll be the happiest guy in the world. But they made my day in Cincinnati when they put me in their Hall of Fame. They made my day when they retired my number. Mm-hmm. They made my day when they built that statue of me outside the ballpark. So those are things that's going to last a lot longer than I'm going to last or you're going to last or your dad's going to mm-hmm. last. Okay? We lived it. Okay? Everybody would like to go to the Hall of Fame. Now, I broke into 63. The first guy I played against that made the Hall of Fame was a guy named Stan Musial. Mm-hmm. Okay? He's the first player the five years after he retired, went to the Hall of Fame. So really, since 19, what would that be, 60, 69 or so, I either played with or against most everybody went in the Hall of Fame. So I know a lot about guys that are in the Hall of Fame. And if baseball thinks there's a bunch of altar boys up there, they got another, you know, they got another case coming. I'm never going to rat on anybody what they did or what they didn't do. And I'm not saying other guys gambled. I don't know that. I've seen athletes out here gambling uh, in Vegas mm-hmm. where it's legal. And most athletes that gamble, if it's legal, somewhere are going to gamble if it's illegal. Mm-hmm. And, but that don't make them bad guys. No, no. Not a bad guy. Nope. I, I just had a problem when I quit playing. And like you said about 10 minutes ago, uh, I, I never retired as a player. I just kept play, uh, I, I I quit playing. You know, the last game I started, Tommy, uh, I got five hits. And I went 0 for 4, and I went 3 for 4. So the last three games, I went 8 for 13. And I just quit playing because my buddy, my best friend, uh, Tony Perez, was chasing the Latino home run record. And I let him play every day. And I think he ended up hitting more home runs than the guy he was chasing. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so that was more important uh, to me than me playing playing out the string. Okay, now Barry Bonds beat my run scored record, and Ichiro tied tied my two hundred hit season uh, ten times. Those are the only two records that I've given up since I retired from baseball. And believe me when I tell you, I'm not uh, acting arrogant or anything like that because I'm not. You know, I'm not. No, you're um, not. No one's going to beat my record. No, yet. no, no Nobody. chance. No, no. They don't play that way. They don't play that way. You got guys that, that have got a better chance of, of beating Reggie's strikeout record at 2,500. Oh, I, I don't know he... about you, Tommy. I, I don't know about you. But I live in Vegas, and I watch two or three uh, games every day. And it's hard for me to watch games. It is. It really... It's really hard. And I and I don't think we're alone in that regard, and I think there are a lot of a lot of numbers that are proving that. I bet your I bet your dad watches a game; he must go crazy. I mean, because all you do is strike out, hit the ball in the air, pop up, hit home runs, no sacrifice, bunny, no hit and runs, nothing. Just I mean, every game. I mean, they had ten home runs the other day in Cincinnati. Okay, the other day the Dodgers beat the Cubs. Two guys, Tommy, in the lineup with the Dodgers had 15 RBIs. Two guys. Yeah. How can two guys have 15 RBIs? Yeah. Both of them had grand slams. Yeah. It's a state of the game. I I mean, it's walk, home run, strikeout. That's it. Yesterday, and I forgot what team it is, uh, they've hit home runs in 15 or 16 straight games. Mm -hmm. So when I played, guys hit home runs, but it wasn't this easy. Oh, no, no, no. Heck, they're, they're, they're breaking home run records took, every year. They're going to tell me they took the sting out of the ball. That is BS. That ball was so lively. I saw one bounce the other day in Cincinnati uh, behind the, the dugout and almost went to the second tier. I mean, <laughs> if that ball's not juiced, I'll kiss your ass. <laughs> and that's what they want. I mean, that's what baseball wants. It's just like Tommy. I know you go crazy because you can't break up a double play. You can't pitch inside. Yep. You can't knock over a catcher, even though he's blocking the plate. I mean, there's so many rule changes. Baseball should work on one rule change, okay? Speed up the game. Yep. Speed every pitch. Every I watched a guy last night readjusted his gloves three times, and they didn't throw a pitch. Mm-hmm. Every pitch, they step out and readjust their gloves. I, I, they they just strut around like they want it to be a four-hour game. And I know when I played, baseball players don't want long game. We like a two-and-a-half-hour game. So do fans, especially during the week. Because kids got to get up and go to school. There's no doubt about it. I, I, there, there are just so many things I look at this game, and, and, and even not even going back to when you played. I mean, I'm just talking about going back even just 10, 12 years ago. It's not that I long mean, ago I, where you I, still I, had two-hour and 30-minute games. Yeah. I, watch two, I watch two games every day, sometimes three. Okay? And I'm going to tell you right now, I have no idea what the strike zone is. When I played, okay, before the game, these four guys walk from underneath the tunnel. One of them's got a mask in his hand. Now, I know right away he's the home plate umpire. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I look at him and I say, is he a high ball umpire? Is he a low ball umpire? Is he a pitcher's umpire? Is he a hitter's umpire? Is he a good umpire? Is he a bad umpire? And when I figure out what he is, 
I expect him, I expect him to be consistent that night. Mm-hmm. Just the night before I broke the record, I'm playing first base. Lee Wire is umpire at first base. I got along good with Lee. I got along good with umpire, mostly. And Lee said, well, you'll break that record tomorrow night, baby. I said, how do you know, Lee? He said, because I'm behind the plate, and you know I call a lot of strikes, and you'll be swinging your ass off. <laughs> he was absolutely right. Okay, if Dutch Renner was back there, I could be as patient as I want. His strike zone was about 12 inches. And I knew that as a player. Because I tell people this all the time, Tommy. You may disagree with it. I don't think you will because you're, you're smart baseball-wise. The easiest place to hit today is the big leagues. Because everybody sure. plays in the big leagues. Everybody plays in the big leagues has hand-eye coordination. Mm-hmm. Agree? Oh, no question. Okay. So what happens when you get to the big leagues? The lights are better. The umpires are better. Pitch and control is better. And maybe most importantly, you're facing the same guys year after year after year. They don't get better. They don't get better. Once you're in the league for a year or two, you know all the pitchers. That's one reason why I didn't go to the American League when I was a free agent. If I go there, I'm 40-some years old. i got to learn every pitcher that's new to me. And believe it or not, Tommy, I had problems with pitchers that I'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. Because the scout can't tell me guy's got a fastball and a curveball. Okay, is his fastball a runner? Is it a sinker? Is it straight? Is his curveball a downer? Is it a sidewinder? Okay, I had to see it to believe it, mm-hmm. to know what it is. And, and, and Tommy, I'm so tired of watching these players every pitch take something out of their hat and look at a scouting report. Yeah. Don't you have a meeting before the series to go over the hitters where you know how to play them? Oh, believe me, they're, they, they have more meetings than they've ever had in the history of, uh, of baseball, and for that matter, maybe any sport. I didn't think anybody had more meetings in football, but now since Sabermetrics has come on board, uh, I, I'm not sure there's a day that goes by there's not at least three or four meetings for a lot of players to have to go into now. guys will take their hat off and just face center field and look at the hitter that's hitting to see how the pitching. What happened to the, the meeting you went over? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like players are coming up every day that aren't there. Okay? Is, is, is this guy a good breaking ball hitter? If he is, don't throw him a breaking ball. Mm-hmm. Is he a good fastball hitter? Then throw it somewhere that he can't pull it out of the ballpark. You guys have no common sense. I, I I never looked at it. Once we had a meeting on the players, and no players were new for the next game, I knew how to play every player. I, mean, I knew it in my mind. I knew what every pitcher threw. That's part of my craft, mm-hmm. getting ready to face this pitcher. I mean, guys guys hit all pitchers like they'd never seen them before, and the guy's been in the league five years. I don't get it. I just don't. I don't understand it. I mean, I don't think I could be in a clubhouse today, Tommy. They look at me like I'm crazy. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, you're not alone in that regard. Uh, There are a lot of guys that are even 30, 40 years younger than you are that feel the same way. Scouts, um, you know, people that have been around the sport a long, long time, coaches. um, I I just hope that they they, they find a way somehow, some way to – to, to start making some changes to the game because it's a game we both love and it's not the same game that that, that we watched and, in your case, played uh, and watch every single day. Pete, I could go on and on with you for days. You've been incredibly um, generous with your time. 
Um, I am forever a huge Pete Rose fan as a guy, uh, obviously as a player and a kid who grew up in Cincinnati. But, uh, man, uh, thank you so much. I really well, appreciate it. You, you and I have one thing in common, my man, and I'll tell you what it is. We both got screwed, and you hang in there because you'll get back. Well, you hang in there because you'll get back too. Oh, no, I'll, I'm, I'm 80 years old. Don't worry about it. But uh, you're a young man. You're good at your craft. And someone eventually has got to give you a second chance. You come from good blood, buddy. Well, thank you, Peter. Peter, all the best to you, your family. Uh, God bless you, buddy. And thank you enough for all your time today. Go Xavier. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. All right. I'll see you, man. Say next. That's right. Be well. All right. Pete Rose, our guest, man, a guy. I mean, come on. How do you not love Pete Rose? Okay. You, you you can you can say whatever you want to say about the whole gambling thing. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay? I was close to it. I sound like Pete now, okay? Um, but, man, I mean, it, it, is 34 years not enough? Is it not enough? I mean, seriously. If Rob Manfred got out of bed tomorrow, and he's not the only one that, that makes this decision, Okay? You know, the Hall of Fame, they would have to take him off the ineligible list, all those sorts of things. But but we have people in this country who have committed felonies. And I'm talking about seriously hurting, killing, raping, doing all kinds of things to people. And, and, and they're paroled. They're let out. This guy has been, quote-unquote, in baseball jail for 34 years. Isn't it enough? I don't know. All right. You've been dialed in with Tom Brenneman. We thank Dave Armbruster, our engineer, producer for everything. We'll catch you next week on Dialed In. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.